You have stumbled upon Stars of Tomorrow, where I, Mr. Thrive, interview future author Owen Fox, who has not yet been discovered. This up-and-coming podcast interviews the up-and-coming. This is Stars of Tomorrow. Owen, how are you doing today, bro? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. It's hot out here in the valley. It is hot, and you know, I just got to say thank you so much for coming all the way out here from like like 15 minutes away from Culver City, right? Where is it again? Yeah, from Santa Monica. In Santa Monica. That's right. Yeah. This is my second time ever being out in the valley. Wow, what yeah. was the first time? Like, was it this was, was it this hot or, or what? Oh, it was an interview in Silmar. It was hot. In uh, another interview. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. was that interview for? Uh, it was painting attack helicopters at a like military compound. Painting them. Yeah. So there's um, there's a company that's basically uh, contracted through the military to build fuselages and um, to paint aircraft. They do um, attack helicopters and fighter jets. Okay. And my job would have been applying a stealth coating. Wow. To these aircraft. That's such an obscure thing. And, yeah. and you know, from the conversations that I've had with you, your life is kind of built off of these kind of obscure little detours. And, you, you know, like, how, how does that kind of shape the person you are today? Well, I think I've always been interested in doing things that other people don't do or things that my friends aren't doing. Mm-hmm. Um Part of it's because I stand out, and the other part is it's fun. Yeah. You know, who who paints attack helicopters? I don't know anyone, <laughs> so why not go try? Yeah, it's just a casual hobby I did last week, actually. I hate to burst a bubble on Oh, that, but... damn it. Okay. Well, now I know someone. Okay. But the thing is, you try these things that other people don't do, and it it does give you this depth of character, but you learn more about who you are and what you're capable of. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. Uh, so, painting attack helicopters is one thing. What... What are some of the other obscure uh, things that I, as well as the viewers here, don't even know about? Oh, boy. There's a lot. Um, So my first job was 13. Uh, I was in charge of prepping tubes for this custom bike shop up in Portland, Oregon. It's called Vanilla Bicycles. Okay. Their bikes are $20,000 bikes. Oh, my God. People choose cars or bikes. This is is a major uh, bike manufacturing company? They're very, they're like handcrafted local they're 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 a small company but they build like incredible works of art that's yeah i would like to look that up it's very cool they're cool bikes yeah um i think the waiting list is five years now for one of their bikes no way yeah five years five years so if i'm a celebrity biker you'll be waiting i'll be waiting they'll wait a while you wait five years yes wow and they can sell you this like pre i i did a lot of the prefabricated ones um, it's called Speedwagon, and they're like these race bikes. Okay. And you can go out and buy those. They're yeah. not hard, but the vanillas are like these custom pieces. I mean, imagine if you're on Amazon, right? And you find a vanilla bike on the browser, and you're like, okay, purchase now. You you put all your money into it, and it says, oh, we'll get to you guaranteed in five years. Five years. Thanks, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. yeah. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, it hasn't just been work. I mean, when I was 10... My mom and dad sold everything and we moved to Florida. Or sorry, not Florida, Italy. It's ridiculous. We moved to Italy. Um, Bush got elected for a second term. And my mom is just, you know, she's just a staunch liberal woman and didn't want to spend another minute in the country with him as a president. Um, so we left. Wait, that's actually, that's actually really amazing because, like, we always hear these, like, we always hear different people go, oh, if this person wins again, I'm going to move to this country. And they never do. But your right. family actually did that. Yeah, we did it. We moved to Italy. Wow. It was a little farm in Italy. And did you learn Italian with that? I, I took lessons. I okay. don't I don't know Italian. Even even um, a little bit or 
I do know a little bit. Okay. But don't ask me to speak any. No, no, no. I, yeah. I wouldn't dare think of Thank it. Thank you. No, no, no. Um, but Italy, and you had a farm. We had a farm. It's a 20-acre olive orchard. Wow. And we lived with this family, and we basically helped pick olives and apricots and uh-huh. figs. Uh-huh. Um, we ran wild for three months. <laughs> My mom was looking for work. She couldn't find any. Why only three months? Um, my mom's, my grandmother got very sick. She started pass- She started dying. And she was back in America. She was back in America. Um, my mom was a nurse and couldn't find work as a nurse in Italy for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Uh, my dad wasn't there, so she was kind of on her own with the three of us. So she would basically leave us to our own devices while she would go off for interviews. It just became too much for everyone. It was crazy. I mean, we did it at the drop of the hat. That's a pretty drastic change. Yeah. A lot of them in a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of my upbringing, which I think is why I look for these new experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've kind of just gotten used to living new experiences. Do you ever find yourself uh, going down a detour and then falling in love with something else, and then you kind of look back and you're like, wait, actually, that last detour was kind of nice. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think that's part of being a 20-something. You take all these weird detours. And I mean, for the listeners, I didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. So I didn't spend four years chasing after something I thought I wanted. I've spent four years chasing after everything, um, which has been interesting. But it's left me with this eagerness for always doing something new. There's always something I want to try. Um, and yeah, most of the time I will try it and go, you know what? I don't like this at all. I liked what I was doing six months ago and I'll go back to it, you know, and writing is one of those things I've always gone back to. It's always been a way for me to express myself best. Um, and it seems to be working out for now. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's actually the perfect segue into talking about what you're currently doing, which of course is writing, which is Writing, yeah. yeah. You are in yeah. the process right now of publishing a book. I am. To be honest, I'm in the process of finalizing a draft to then send to a publisher, um, which I'm learning is a lot of work, um, a lot of money, too. Um, I don't want to self-publish on Amazon. Um, I don't know why I don't want to. It just doesn't feel like something I want to do. Um... And so, yeah, I've been, I've been going back to this manuscript for three years now, on and off. Okay. It's been intense. It's and been fun. What is this manuscript, as you described? It's, it started as a collection of letters to my dad. I've got a very, I've got a, uh, a strange relationship with my dad. Uh-huh. He's not someone you can just talk to. Why is that? He's a businessman. So you can come to him as a co-worker talking to a boss but you can't come to him as a son talking to a father he doesn't operate that way he doesn't know how um but as someone who doesn't operate that way i have to had to find a way to write down how i was feeling even if i couldn't tell him how i was feeling so i'd write him these letters and you know they're between a page and and 10 pages sometimes i had a lot to say to him and i kept them and I kept them over a period of years. And one day I was reading one. And 
I was crying, you know, I just like, I was like, oh, these are things that I'd really want to tell my dad, but I, I don't know. I was scared of how he would respond, especially if I were to give him all these letters. Sure. Um, but I knew that I wanted to at some point. So I tried to think of a way to basically make a compilation of these letters that would help him to understand where I was coming from. Um, some of the, some of the letters had a lot of anger and resentment. Some of them had a lot of love and appreciation and I wanted it to be this whole piece. Um, almost like when people do poems, a, a book of poems, I wanted it to be this piece that could flow and, and carry this message to him that I had been unable to tell him prior to that. So it's, it's basically become this manuscript of me explaining my upbringing and all the strange things that have happened and explain, uh, explaining his upbringing and his dad's upbringing because they're all very interesting men and I don't think that, um, how do I say this? His faults are not because of him, just like his father's faults are not because of him. He, they learned this behavior and it's trickled down through generations. And now here I am trying to come to terms with it. And I know I don't want to be like my dad, so I have to confront it. And what better way of confronting than, than writing it all and giving it back to him, giving it back to my grandfather and letting them try and understand. Absolutely. Is your grandfather still alive? He's still alive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you'd want, it, this is a kind of a book for, for your dad and his dad as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think it would be, it's a good book for a lot of dads to read, I think. Um, and sons, sons and daughters who have relationships with their fathers that they're not satisfied with. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, what you're talking about now is, is, you know, relevant to me to a certain extent because I, I have a close relationship with my father. Sure. But, um, you know, it's not always smooth. As a matter of fact, you know, I just helped my, my parents, uh, move into their, to their new place. They're moving from, uh, Thousand Oaks into Oxnard. Okay. And they're, they're going into a boating community. It's wow. Like, it's like, uh, Thousand Oaks with canals. It's uh, kind of fancy. <laughs> yeah. I like the sound I, of that. I wish that that was the slogan of, uh, of, of the, of the Seabridge community. It's Thousand Oaks, but we have boats. Yeah, but we have boats. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, you know? I like that. But, you know, it's, it's no better roses when I'm taking orders from my father. And it's not just about taking orders from my father and me being a, a little cringy millennial going, uh, don't tell me what to do. It's like, it comes from just deep rooted, uh, innate feelings of uh, sometimes just not knowing how to handle each other and this certain level of communication. So I get that. It's a very it's a very raw feeling. And, you know, my dad didn't have a, a the, the best relationship with his dad. Sure. You know, um, I think my grandpa, it's his his history is a little bit ambiguous, but without without uh, infringing too much on the privacy that he's kind of worked hard to kind of hold. I think in his early years, uh, because of his conditions and how they looked at mental disability back then, sure, uh, he was actually, uh, for a, a time period, put in the equivalent of a mental asylum for right. a little bit. Right. And then he was eventually released a after youth. Okay. And uh, he, he lived a very unorthodox life of kind of scavenging around. And um, when, when he started his business and started a family, he had a very different dynamic than most nuclear families. 
He was sort of a social outcast most Absolutely. of his life, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, I think some people knew him on his good side, and I think my family saw uh, the brash side of it all. Right. You know? So I, I get that completely. It's a very relatable book, that father-son relationship. The more people I talk to, the more I realize, which is, this has been another big part, is the, the more I write and the more I talk about my writing, the more I realize there's so many people dealing with the same situation. Sure. Which has been great because it's become this thing that, for however close we are, my father and I, it's not personal. Uh-huh. It's not this thing that he set out to do, or his father, or me even. This is just how it is sometimes. And how do you react to that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, from my little scummy, you know, internal businessman perspective, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my first thought is like, oh, there's a it's market here. out there. Uh huh. But you know, it's relatable. It is relatable. Yeah. Which is why I want to be the first book I publish. It kind of motivates you as you keep going. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But that's what you plan. So you have that book planned to be your first one. Um, do you have kind of other ones on the back burner right now? As oh, well? I do. Okay. Sure. Um. Is it all kind of motivated from from family and this constant change in your life, or or is it or is it different? It's all based around, honestly, people with problems. Um, I like that. I like I like the side to humanity that isn't perfect, that has issues. Um, it's very raw, and honestly, hard to hear sometimes. I think that's something we try to avoid looking at. We don't want to see this dark side of humanity, um, but it exists. It's what makes us all good. We have this kernel of darkness in us. And I think that if we didn't have that, we wouldn't know what it is to be good. There'd be nothing to compare it to. If we had never done wrong or slighted someone or hurt someone, we wouldn't feel that hurt. We wouldn't feel this, oh my God, I fucked up. I need, I need to be better. I need to be a better person. So, um, I have a collection of short stories that are all based around these damaged people, um, psychologically and, and, and physically. And I, I, I have put them in this position of weakness to basically test the human condition. What does it take for them to become stronger? Or, or what happens when, when something happens and, and they become weaker? What happens to a person when they're put in these positions of powerlessness? That rock bottom. Yes. How, some people bounce back. Some people just fall, you know? Um, and I like that. And even worse, some people convince themselves they're rising when they're still in that place. Or they're still falling. They're falling further. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think humans are fascinating. And I like, I like writing about them. So from what I gather, a lot of what you're working on is like is collections of short stories, essentially. Yes. yes. And I think that's really great. I love that format. You know, one of my uh, newly favorite books that I recently read was World War Z. Okay. This uh, book by Max Brooks. Sure. Uh, who, it's basically a, a collection of vignettes right. of different people from all over the world during the invasion or during the during the start of the zombie apocalypse. Okay. And that I think is kind of a really neat concept because it kind of shows the lack of free will uh, when your life is juxtapositioned to the world in a certain way. Oh, yeah. This thing is happening. You can't avoid it. Right. And so you're kind of doing that, but from a more real perspective, without the zombies. There's no zombies. Yeah, there's yeah. no zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. 
But <laughs> but there are these I don't I guess psychological zombies where this thing is happening and and it's coming at you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can run, you can fight, but it's not you're going to have to confront it. You can run as far as you want at the end of the day, the zombies will still be chasing you. Have you ever come close to beating your zombie? I've come close. I haven't yet. Okay. Yeah. So you're in the process. You're at that, that yeah. close point now. You know, I think um, it is this process. I mean, it could take my whole life for me to deal with problems. Um, I've got plenty of issues around trust, around opening up to people. Um, I think some of that does relate to my relationship with my father. But by writing about it, it actually becomes easier. It becomes easier to talk about. Six months ago, you would have never, you couldn't have convinced me to come onto this show and talk. Really? Why is that? Uh, yeah. I wasn't ready. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to verbalize how I felt. Um, Has writing sort of amplified in those six months? Or? Writing's been huge. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's amplified. Um, it's been huge for me being able to talk about how I feel. I think a lot of men have issues talking about how they feel. I don't think it's easy. Yeah. I think... I think being emotional and vulnerable is, it's a very feminine trait. And this is something I talk about in my book. Um, we shouldn't have these traits that are categorized by gender or, or sexuality, whatever you want to call it. We're just people going through life. We have this human condition and it is okay for a man to be vulnerable and to talk about the things that hurt him. Yeah. Um, cause that's the only way anyone's going to know. Right. Otherwise it's just gonna be like, he's fine. He's and you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more cause I, I've always said the most masculine man is the one who embraces his, his feminine his side. His feminine side. And, yeah. and I, I know dudes who, who go out of their way and, and just do everything they can to one up the person to, to their left. And it's like, really? Yeah. You, you really need to. It's easy. To you can look that. at a person and you don't have, it's just this person you want to be. You don't have to look at anything else. Right. But then you're not getting this full picture. There's no, I want to, it'd be nice if we got to a place where there wasn't this masculine and feminine. Sure that, you know, there's, there's men and there's women and, and, and whatever. But at the end of the day, we're humans and we should just be whole. And part of being whole is talking about your feelings, man. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, it's, it's I gotta say, it's it's gotten pretty polarizing how, Talking about your feelings, it's become really polarizing how not talking about your feelings becomes uh, a certain trait. And I, I hate that even more so this trait goes into even uh, politics with that, uh, with a certain political alignment, you become more or less open to, to talking about your feelings. And, and, and then if you, do call, if you do talk about your feelings, you're called a snowflake. Mm -hmm. You're called a pussy. You're called all these different... Uh, names and it's like really I, I don't think name calling is the answer it never has been it's never worked uh, no it and, doesn't work you know but it's just a part of it's just this flaw in human nature to label something um, I think we like to shame other people too yeah because it, it does make us feel better about ourselves no absolutely and I totally understand that but yeah it, it is this um, character flaw of ours <laughs> what kind of what kind of hero's journey do we have to go through to kind of uh, get over this hump of uh, being less polarizing Sure. To 
gender and, and, and holding and based on gender, uh, deciding whether or not to hold our feelings in. Sure. You know, how do we, and also labeling and shaming, you know, how do, how do we get past this yeah. kind of vicious cycle, this toxic cycle? It's quite a question, isn't it? Yeah. I don't pretend to know. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know enough. I don't know enough about humans because I'm, I'm still young and, and quite frankly, I'm a white man. I've had it easy. I will continue to have it easy, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Um, but I think that's the next stage in our evolution. I think it's going to be this psychological transformation that, that we undergo. Um, and I think it's going to take a lot of pain. I think that's, unfortunately, that's how we learn. Um, people are hurt and they either come out stronger or they come out weaker. And I'm hoping that as a, as a collective, we come out stronger. Um, I think we are taking the right steps right now by, by being more inclusive and opening up the stage for people who haven't had a voice in the past to speak. Because I think that breeds tolerance, if not acceptance. And after tolerance comes this acceptance, and hopefully after acceptance comes understanding. And then we can relate to these people that we, that we don't relate to. And, and I'm not going to say it's like this weird hive mind, but we, we become connected to people. We can look at someone and, and we feel for them, regardless of who they are. It's not just our friends and our family. And so I think we will, we will all evolve once we are able to look at a stranger and love them for who they are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what that will take. Well, I, I mean, I love it. It's insightful, you know, it's profound. Uh, definitely has me uh, taken aback and just like, because like when I hear things like that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, it brings about hope. And I think hope's got to be the motivating drive to exactly what you're talking about. I think before love comes hope, Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, that's why I wrote the letters steps. to my dad. Yeah. It was this hope. Is that the moral of the story? Yeah, I think you have to keep hoping. Um, Otherwise, where are you really? You know? But if you can hope and dream, there's a future. There's this way to better yourself. Yeah. Hope is a beautiful thing. It really is. It really is. Well, with that, I just want to say, this is uh, Owen Fox. He's an incredible guy. Uh, Per tradition of the show, Mm -hmm. I'll be asking every single guest uh this question and i'm going to extend the question to you as well um in hopes that when you do become famous sure we can follow up and talk about what's happened between now and then that's going to be fun so my question to you is this what will you be famous for Hmm, that's tough what will i be famous for my, my charisma and my stunningly good looks. I was going to no. say. No. I was going to say. I, I think mean, it will like, be my ability to say handsome. what's on my mind. <laughs> I was going to say, besides you being uh, a handsome-ass dude who makes me question my own sexuality, okay. I was going to say. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, that was a ridiculous. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I'm being ridiculous. I'm being ridiculous. I'd like to say that if I become famous, it's because... People look at me and they like me and they want to know more. Um, and, and maybe my charisma plays a part in it. 
maybe it's just my kindness. I don't know a lot of famous people that are famous because they are kind, but it does happen. Um, so I would like it to be that. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Owen, thank you so much for coming on to the show. This is Stars of Tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, please be sure to follow this podcast and you stay tuned for next Friday for the next interview with Amanda Piatoro. Thank you so much and have a great rest of the week. Thank you, Chaz. Hey guys, did you like this podcast? Be sure to follow on Spotify. Also, go to the Instagram. That is Mr. Period Thrive. Go on Facebook at Stars of Tomorrow. Also, be sure if you want to contact Owen Fox, his Instagram is at Owen Everett Fox. Again, that is at Owen Everett with two T's Fox. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.